seated. Tonight's sermon is a little bit different, but I hope that you will indulge me because I do think that things that will be said will be beneficial to every single Christian, even though they will be unusually personal. Reflections on 40 years of local work. You know you've been preaching for a while when you began local work in the Reagan administration. You know you've been preaching for a while when you preached your first sermon in the Nixon administration. For those of you that are young, you can check that out on Wikipedia. There's an old statement about preaching that goes like this. If I had a thousand lifetimes, I would want to spend each and every one of them as a gospel preacher. I believe that with all my heart. I subscribe to that viewpoint. And I hope that you would want to be a faithful Christian in a thousand lifetimes if God gave you a thousand lifetimes to be a faithful Christian. Back in the old days, there were what was called GPs. Young people... Look it up on Wikipedia if you don't know what I'm talking about. The word, the initials GP stood for what, y'all? General practitioner, but it also stands for gospel preacher. We think of a general practitioner as somebody that was there when there was a need... When there were people hurting, he was there to bring babies into the world and he was there when people passed from this life. One of the things that I've always loved about preaching the gospel locally is that one is able to be a general practitioner of preaching. The local church is the front line in many ways. And someone who really works well in local work can probably do any other aspect of preaching well. Teaching. Evangelism. Visitation. Because when you think about local work, In tonight's assembly, we probably have about 120 people. You know what that means? It means that there are approximately 500 different views of what the local preacher should be doing. 
There really is. And none of them coincide exactly. So it's an adventure. It's always exciting, and yet the challenges and demands are great. But if I had a thousand lifetimes, I'd want to be a local preacher. I'd want to be a gospel preacher in all of them because the local church is an indication of what the people of God should be like everywhere. Think about Westside. What kind of representation are we to what the people of God should be in any and every setting, loving God, holding up His truth, bringing people closer to Him. The words of Horace Greeley come to mind. Go west, young man. How did a fellow who considers West Tennessee to be his home end up spending 40 years of his life doing local work in Texas? I married me a wife who was from Texas. But I've considered it a great blessing to be able to work with seven churches as their local preacher during the 40 years I preached. 22 of those 40 are right here at Westside. During those years, it's been my blessing and occasional headache to preach for churches ranging in size from 100 to well over 500. It's been a blessing It's been a privilege. I think that it has helped make me a better Christian. I pray that it has. The Bible says, examine yourselves in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. And to give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure, 2 Peter 1 and verse 10. I think every Christian needs to do that. But those of us who preach need to periodically engage in reflection. And so indulge me as I talk with you about reflections on 40 years of local work. I'll guarantee you things are differently culturally than they were in the Reagan administration when I first started local work. And most of the cultural shift that we've experienced in this country is seismic in nature. And a lot of it is not for the better. But here's some reflections. Reflections over 40 years of local work. Preachers work locally with people as they work with God. In the time that I've been a local preacher, I personally worked under the oversight of 67 different elders, 67 different shepherds. Several of those men are in this very room tonight. I have been part of a band of brothers in preaching that has become very precious to me You talk about friends who stick closer than brothers. I have found in 40 years 
that godly shepherds and fellow preachers have been some of my greatest encouragers and at the same time, some of my greatest critics. In speaking about people, many could be mentioned, but I'm going to mention three specifically. Johnny Ramsey was a tremendous influence on me for many years. He was a gospel preacher. Johnny was one part Jeremiah, one part uh, John the Baptizer, and one part machine gun when it came to listening to him preach because he was rattling scriptures off so fast that it became a very common sight to see children in the assembly putting marks down for every reference in the Bible that he mentioned in a sermon. Often it was over 150 or 200. Johnny was the best man in our wedding I helped do his funeral. He was a preaching master. He could preach topically and thematically and in an overview fashion as well as any person I've ever heard. When I first met Johnny, he was in the study at the church building of my future father-in-law. He and my future father-in-law were talking, and I don't know if they had this arrangement made prior to my getting there. But Johnny and I said hello to one another, and the next thing I know, Johnny Ramsey said, Now, why don't you sit down in that chair right there and tell this man right here exactly what your intentions are concerning his daughter? And he left. He left the room, but if you know Johnny Ramsey, that would be pretty well characteristic of him. We talked weekly for probably 20 years, and Johnny had a tremendous ability to take what I thought was really complex and to simplify it and to point me closer to Scripture and God, and I'm grateful for that. Who is the Paul in your life? Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Nathan? Who is your Mary or Priscilla or Ruth? I believe that all of us as Christians over time are blessed to have such people. Johnny was one of those to me. I still miss him. George Bailey. Two guys that preached a lot of Bible, both of them. A lot of Bible. Man, you could bring your bucket. They were going to fill them to overflowing. George Bailey, though, was Apollos. If Johnny was Jeremiah or John the Baptizer... You had in George Bailey, Apollos, mighty in the Scriptures and eloquent. Acts 18, 24 through 28. And just hearing the guy preach couldn't help but make an impact on you. And especially on young men who wanted to preach. 
And George Bailey had a way about him, not only for preaching the truth and lots of it, but he had a way of making you feel that you were the only person in all the world at that time. He was concerned about you and what was going on in your life. As a young preacher, I went to the Dallas Preacher's Luncheon. And these are names that will mean nothing to most of you. But at that Dallas Preacher's Luncheon were men like Perry Cotham, John Bannister, Melvin Wise, so many others, Eulon Jackson. And I sat at the luncheon next to George Bailey and he led a prayer on our behalf. And he prayed for a young preacher just getting started in a local work who was in over his head. Part of me during that prayer, I was wanting to touch the hem of his jacket, hoping that power would come from Brother Bailey to a young preacher. God doesn't work that way, does he? But the interest that George Bailey took in me and his concern as we would talk over the years meant a lot. Third person. It was at Freed Hardeman University. I walked into the student center, walked into a little cafe at the student center, and there she sat. I was introduced to her. I got to tell you, Carol, you'll like this after I ratted you on ice cream earlier. Cherie was sitting in the student center at this cafe eating a banana split for supper the first time we met. She didn't look a whole lot different than she does now. And I thought, what a super young lady. Little did I know that God would bless us so richly in our marriage and family and work together. Now you listen to me. This will benefit all of you. It takes three times the lady to be a a preacher's wife than it does man to be a preacher. It takes three times the lady. First of all, she's got to put up with her husband. And secondly, she hears things sometimes in the course of a congregation's life about her husband. Think about that. It takes a great lady to be a preacher's wife. And I will say without hesitation, Westside may have a better preacher as the years go by. But you'll never have a better preacher's wife. You won't. And I hope you'll understand that. I'm not saying that out of bias. I am saying it because it takes three times the Christian lady to be a preacher's wife than it does a preacher and a man. Now, there may be somebody that's about as good, but you won't find a better one. She has encouraged me through the years. She has been a trusted friend and confidant, and she's been a constructive critic. 
she's still the finest Christian I have ever known. Incidents and stories, as I reflect, incidents and stories. I remember preaching my heart out one night, and I was competing against a little one. I love little ones. If they cry, if they act up, they do not disturb me, mamas, daddies. They probably disturb you a lot more than they disturb me. But this young child was being carried out by its mama. And the child screamed, Pray for me! And I felt the need to stop and pray for him right then and there. (laughs) Stories, things that have happened while I have been a local preacher. In a congregation where I preached, there was a man there that wanted to beat my derriere. Young people, look it up on Wikipedia. (laughs) That's not exactly the term the brother used, but he wanted to beat me up because I used an overhead projector that you could draw on the overhead, put the transparencies up. You know what I'm talking about, people? Look that one up, too, on Wikipedia, okay? There were people who didn't like that. There were people who loved that. Now, incidentally, anytime there's a change, there's normally some grumbling. Because when we put the, uh, the PowerPoint up here, we had people that just didn't know if that wasn't a step in, just one step away from denominationalism. And the very first lesson... I used the slide on one side and a dry eraser board on the other. Case closed. I asked the brother who didn't like the overhead projector, why don't you like this? And he said, I don't like that machine. I'm saying, okay, if I used a chalkboard, is that okay? And he said, yes. I asked him, I said, if I used a stick and wrote on the ground like Jesus did in John chapter 8, is that okay? He said, yes. Then I said, why can't I use an overhead projector with transparencies and put them up? Then he goes, I don't like that machine. I mentioned that to Johnny Ramsey. Here he comes again, who is about to come our way for a gospel meeting. Johnny says, I'll tell you who that person is. And I'll do it the first day I'm with you. I'll do it on Sunday. After the Sunday morning sermon, people were exiting the building. That brother came along, and he shook Johnny's hand. He said hi to me, and as soon as he walked out the door, Johnny said, that's the guy. I want you to realize that people who have some maturity about them can tell who problems are in some churches just like that. The interesting thing about that is that brother's family talked to him. I never had to say another word to him. That brother's family talked about things to him. And he eventually became one of my biggest encouragers. And his family certainly was during those years.
preachers will have to preach moving sermons sometimes because you think that preaching them, Adam, may cause you to have to move, to leave. In one congregation where I was preaching, there had been a great deal of division. Families were torn asunder regarding the former preacher and alleged misconduct. I had Cherie out in the car right after the final amen was said when I preached on the problem specifically as the new preacher. 106 people responded that night. It wasn't due to the preacher. It was due to the fact that God's truth can still touch hearts. And there were a lot of good people that were not treating each other right there. Stories. My family has often joked with me and said, Mike, you ought to write a book. Dad, you ought to write a book. Honey, you ought to write a book on all the things that have happened. From this very building, a guy got up with all sincerity and didn't realize what he said when he said this. Leading our closing prayer tonight will be Fidel Castro. (laughs) At that particular time in history, Fidel Casada was one of our elders. And the guy misspoke. And I'm thinking, praise God, Fidel Castro has come to Jesus. I had not heard this. Incidents. In being a preacher... Locally, there are those famous try-out sermons. Or you go elsewhere to speak as a guest. I could write an entire chapter on beds. You're staying with someone and you go to the bed to sleep for the night. In one particular place where I was trying out... Every time you inhaled and exhaled, the bed creaked. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't a quiet creak, y'all. We're talking like, please pray for me, type of creaking. It was loud. Didn't get much sleep that night. Slept on the floor. On another occasion, Cherie and I went to bed and people went to extra trouble and rented a bed for us. But the bed could only be described as a Venus flytrap bed. And by that I mean... (laughs) Both sides came up and Cherie and I were like this. Part of me is holding on with my hand and and foot because I don't want to crush my wife to death. Everybody has stories, incidents. Third, things I do differently or things I do the same. Any preacher who's preached locally for very long, if they don't have some regrets, they're probably not being completely honest. One thing I would do differently is handle the stresses and disappointments of local work better. I would handle the stresses and disappointments of local work better. 
For a while in local work, I was kind of a troubleshooter, a fixer. And on a number of occasions in my ministry, I've gone to congregations where my predecessor may have been guilty of sin. And in one case, as we were unloading our furniture into the preacher's home, a television station was there filming the building because my predecessor was sentenced to 30 years for sexual misconduct. The guy could preach a sermon as well as anybody, and he was articulate, as articulate as a Madison Avenue lawyer in New York, but his life was just as dirty as many lawyers and politicians. And the church was reeling from that. And you know what? Experiences like that take a toll on you as a preacher and on your family. I wish that I would have handled the stresses and disappointments better. That's something I do different. Elders... Former elders, those of you who preached, maybe you can see what I'm saying here too. Secondly, I'd quit mentally comparing and competing with other preachers and churches. I would stop a cease and desist notice competing with other preachers and other congregations. just want Jesus to increase and for us to decrease, John 3 and verse 30. Just want to help churches grow closer to Jesus and not be busy keeping books for God as to who's doing what and who's doing it better. That's something I do differently. Something else I do differently is this. I hope you'll listen. I would want every person that I encountered to realize how treasured and special they are by God. I'd want every person that I encountered to realize how treasured and special they are by God. I believe in my ministry there have been times that I've been distracted and preoccupied And I may not have given people the impression that I'm talking about. But I'd want every person to know that they're treasured and precious to God. Things I would not do differently. Things that I would want to do exactly the same. Believe it or not, one of the things I wouldn't change a bit, I might even want to do it more, have a healthy sense of humor. You talk about a merry heart does good like medicine, Proverbs 17, 22. When you are involved in a work that has to do with eternity and has to do with people's souls, the best way to maintain your sanity is to have a healthy sense of humor. 
many do not. But how it's needed in faithful long-term ministry. Secondly, something else that I wouldn't change. Early on in my ministry, I determined that I wanted to be a builder and an encourager. I had been around enough people who were blasters and breakers. I wanted to be a builder and encourager. I would not change that. I would encourage the church to be full of people who are builders and encouragers too. It would make our shepherd's job a whole lot easier. Third, one thing I would not change is the way I handle the Word. Handling aright the Word of Truth and giving diligence to it, 2 Timothy 2.15, and preaching the Word when it's popular and when it's not. Over the years, we have dealt with a number of controversial things, morally, doctrinally, But I have made every effort to preach the whole counsel of God, Acts 20 and verse 27, and I cannot apologize for that. Throughout ministry, there has been an intense desire to model good study before a church. We need elders that do that, deacons that do that, Bible class teachers that do that. Blessings, talking about this reflection, blessings. I have been financially supported, graciously so, for 40 years to do the job I love. How many of you have gotten to do the job that you love for 40 years? Not many. Now, there are some aspects of preaching I love less, but here's the way I look at them. I get to do what I have to do, so I get to do what I love to do. I get to do what I have to do in preaching, so I get to do what I love to do, and what I love to do in preaching so outweighs the things I have to And you support us through that. Thank you. Secondly, blessings. When we moved here, our daughter was seven or eight. Our son was ten or eleven. Cherie and I will always be in the debt of this congregation, tremendously so. For you being our kids' family. We were hundreds of miles away from Cherie's family and about a thousand miles away from mine. But our children never lacked for Christian grandparents and Christian friends and people who adopted them and made them part of their family, part of God's family. Both of them were eventually 
married in this building. Both of them now have their own children. That in no small measure is due to the encouragement and love shared with them in the church here. There is no way for any of us to properly estimate the value of having a group of people who are family to the young. It matters to them. Thank you. A third blessing has been this, systematic study of God's Word. In the 20 plus years I've been here, we have gone through the entire Bible in a study called Spotlight on the Word. In the years here, systematic study, and I remember this one vividly, the week that changed the world. The last week of Christ's life culminating in the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I'll never forget hearing men pray about that series publicly as I knew how excited they were about it. Series on the Holy Spirit. Series on the book of Revelation. Series on the undenominational church. Series on how we got the Bible. This has been an opportunity for systematic study of God's Word that could not exist if a preacher stays someplace three months and is gone. Or six months. It's a blessing. It's blessed me. And I hope it's blessed you. Again, reflecting on counsel that I would give to others. This can apply to every Christian. Be there when you're really needed and people will remember. For those of us who do local work, that is so important. Be there when you're really needed and people will remember. Etch your name in people's hearts. And quit worrying about etching your name in marble and having some lasting legacy and reputation. If you etch your name in people's hearts, they will remember you. There are people that I've known through the years in local work that may not recall a single sermon that I have preached, a single class that I have taught, but they will remember that I visited with them or prayed with them when their world was rocked and shaken. Make sure your name is etched in people's hearts by loving service. You'll never regret that. Secondly, listen everybody, because when it comes time for hiring preachers, these are not the kind of things most churches think about. We ought to. Take care of the depth of your spiritual life and let God take care of your life's length and breadth and height. 
Take care of the depth of your spiritual life and let God take care of your life's length and breadth and height. That's true for every Christian. If you are shallow, if you're one of those people like I described this morning who your toe getting in the water is about as deep as you get spiritually, that is not the type of relationship you should want with God. You take care of the depth of your spiritual life and He'll take care of your life's length and breadth and height. He'll bless you more than you ever imagined. Third, we all need to give ourselves more to the Word of God in prayer. Acts 6, verses 3 and 4. And you know what? Sometimes those of us who preach give ourselves to the Word of God, but not to prayer. Blessed are the balanced. One thing that I would counsel is when somebody talks with you about something and it's a matter that needs to be prayed about, stop and pray then and there. You ever told somebody, I'll pray about it, and then you forgot about it? Who hasn't? But when we hear about it, if we will stop and take a moment and pray then and there, even if it's just a brief prayer... It counts. It matters. We need to be known as people of prayer. If I had to do it all over again, I would want to pray in such a way as to impact eternity. Because prayer can impact eternity. Goals. Goals. Reflecting on goals. What are your goals after 40 years? My goals are as follows. To to heavily invest in future leaders and preachers of the church. At this point in my life, a week never goes by when I do not hear from a church leader, an elder, or preacher looking for encouragement or counsel. Years ago, it was a Johnny Ramsey who helped and counseled me. I never thought I would see the day when I was a person that many turn to, but they do. And that's a good part of the work that you do at Westside, but we don't advertise it. I've mentioned it tonight. I believe making an investment... And Logan Summers was one of the best things we've done as a church. I believe making an investment in Justin Bell was one of the best things that we've done as a congregation. I believe making an investment in David Eastland was one of the best things we've done as a church. Other names can be mentioned. I believe making an investment in David Vestal is one of the best things we've done as a church. Faithful men faithfully seeking to live and proclaim Christ's gospel. That's an investment that's a good investment. Another thing I would want to do and I have as a goal, I want to encourage greater God-centeredness 
in our churches and in individual Christians' lives. If you have listened to me for years, you ought to know that I frequently talk about this. And here's why. To the extent any individual Christian or congregation is not God-centered, to that extent or degree, we are unsound. We're not healthy. A person can believe all the right things and yet fail to be God-centered and be lost because they don't understand what it means to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Mark 12 and verse 30. Nothing is more important than the pursuit of God. And He must be kept the focal point in every aspect of our lives. Our churches our marriages, our parenting, our jobs, our decisions. I want to end well. I don't want to be bitter. You know preachers that get bitter? Kind of can be hard to be around sometimes. Only one that might be worse is a bitter elder. But bitter preachers... They hurt themselves and they hurt the church. I believe that we ought to end well by being faithful, by being joyful, and by being positive. Faithful to Jesus and the gospel. Joyful because of Jesus and His gospel. Positive Because the best is yet to be for God's people. It really is. I close with this reflection. I am grateful to God, gratitude to God, for His grace and mercy in taking a West Texas boy who came from West Tennessee and humbling him and giving him his grace and mercy and giving him opportunities and for his patience. I'm grateful to God for those things. Aren't you in your own life? I am grateful to God for allowing me to do what I love to do for all of these years. I don't have any intention of retiring Though I understand ministry can look different as the days go on. As long as I have the health and mind, I want to give myself to the work of preaching Jesus and the gospel. And as I look back on 40 years, I can see that he walked with me every step of the way. There were times I wondered. But I want you to know, He will walk with you every step of the way too. Who wouldn't want to serve a God like ours? Amen. Just a few reflections. And thank you for your patience. If there is anyone here tonight who is not in Christ... 
There's no friend like Jesus. There's no Savior like Jesus. There is no God like Him. Come to Him in faith and repentance and baptism, having your sins washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb. Become part of the church, the body of Christ. And for those of us who are Christians, I hope that at some point, something I said will help you in your prayers, will help you in your decisions, and will help you in your walk with the Lord so that we can all be together in glory with Christ. Let us stand and sing.